millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, October 2nd. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, lawmakers return to the Capitol to finalize CARES Act spending. Then, health care and the pandemic continue to be core issues of the November election. We hear from one health official about how Medicaid expansion could help the state's most vulnerable. Plus, a Jacksonian returns home to helm the Mississippi Arts Commission. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi legislators are back at the Capitol today to finalize bills to spend the remainder of the $1.25 billion in federal coronavirus relief funds. Mississippi lawmakers passed bills yesterday creating grant programs to help a number of industries affected by the coronavirus pandemic. Among them, the Mississippi ICU Infrastructure Act provides $10 million to help hospitals add beds and other services for COVID-19 patients. A $13 million grant program was created to help poultry, cattle, and sweet potato farmers who've had losses due to COVID-19. Lawmakers are also helping landlords who've lost money with grants up to $30,000. One funding amendment that did not pass was additional aid to Mississippi's three public HBCUs. House Democrat Gregory Holloway of Hazelhurst tells our Desiree Frazier those institutions have been disproportionately affected. Representative Robert Johnson made an attempt to try to put some uh, funding in there for uh, Alcorn State, uh, Jackson State, and Mississippi Valley State University because those universities, as you well know, uh, are never funded to uh, the level in which they uh, should be. And even during this pandemic, uh, these universities are disproportionately uh, affected uh, by the uh, pandemic. And so uh, he asked for uh, $21 million uh, to go to those three universities and, of course, uh, it wasn't uh, well taken. Uh, the chairman um, uh, decided that uh, they didn't want to amend the bill. Uh, but I thought it was a very good idea. So I applaud uh, uh, Representative Johnson for his attempt. And that's something that we're definitely going to have to keep before uh, the House of Representatives and, uh, and the legislature. And is there anything that's important to mention about allocating these funds? Uh, no, I think that, uh, you know, uh, it just, 
depends on how much longer this pandemic uh, is around. Um, if it stays around uh, longer than we anticipate, then we're going to have to uh, we're going to have to seek uh, additional funding from the federal government to, to try to keep these businesses uh, alive. Uh, you know, we we did do something for. Um, uh, you know, people who, um, the residential, uh, folks, landlords, landlords, yeah, to try to keep them from having to evict people because, you know, they don't have the ability to pay. So we've, we've tried to do everything we could, uh, from A to Z to try to, uh, spread the money around. And if the pandemic, um, is longer, say three, four months longer, then we're going to have to come back to the drawing board. And, of course, uh, we're going to have to have some more money to sustain these uh, uh, businesses and organizations. And what does that mean for the state agencies? Uh, That means that uh, everybody is suffering. And it means that we're going to have to look at uh, every available avenue to try to uh, keep state government uh, alive and well. Representative Gregory Holloway, we appreciate your time in speaking with us. Thank you. Thank you. Senate Minority Leader Derek Simmons says the programs to aid farmers and landlords were passed in response to issues that went unaddressed earlier in session. He also expresses concern over an election day without a mask mandate in place. Well, we looked at it. Uh, we didn't do anything for our farmers. And so we will have a bill to appropriate some of the coronavirus money to uh, the agriculture industry. Uh, we didn't do anything regarding rental assistance. Uh, we want to reach out and help renters uh, to stay in in their in their in their apartments uh, during this uh, during these during this time. Okay, broadband. What can you tell us about that? Well, uh, what we are trying to do is a uh, appropriate money for uh, we've already allocated uh, 150 million, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and what we want to do is uh, put money for a wireless communication system, as I understand it, uh, uh, that will further assist uh, with the broadband. Uh, and we also want to put, I also have a discussion about setting money aside to create hotspots. Uh, uh, and that will help out with our delivery of education services. Uh, um, and also, we want to uh, make changes to our small business program as well, uh, where we are including additional uh, codes that would allow businesses that were shut down uh, due to the government's order uh, to be considered for the small business grant. So there's still money available for small business grants? Yes, yes. Out of the $300 million, uh, we have we have spent like close to $150 million. So yeah, we have money left over. Now, there are still a lot of applications that are still going through additional uh, uh, paperwork that, that, that they are following up with the businesses on. Uh, but certainly we are trying to create an opportunity for businesses that were not originally uh, considered 
to get the relief that they need for us to allow those businesses to be considered. In that vein, the governor has ended the mass mandate, the statewide mass mandate. We have elections November 3rd. Is How do you feel about the possibility of some people going to polling places without masks? It's very disturbing. Um, um, what we really expect is bold, courageous leadership uh, from uh, the governor and not for him just to take his marching orders from the White House and the failed leadership that we have seen uh, uh, in response to this in response to this pandemic from uh, the White House, we expected more from our governor. And not only did we see a considerable delay in even issuing a statewide mask mandate after many cries from the medical community and the experts, now we believe that the statewide mask mandate was lifted prematurely. And so I am concerned about just not only how it's going to look uh, around November the 3rd when people are voting without a mask, but even what we have to deal with up until that time with people uh, not actually wearing masks. And so uh, it's one thing to say uh, that guidelines are better than mandates. Uh, and if that's the case, then why issue a mandate from the beginning? Mandates are important. People like to follow orders and I just believe that uh, to lift the mandate, but to encourage people to wear wear masks, is not going to be as effective as as it has been while the mandate was in place. So I'm very disturbed about that. Senator Derek Simmons, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. Thank you. A bipartisan bill to provide for no-excuse in-person absentee voting was filed in the House, but a co-sponsor of that bill says it will unlikely make it to the floor. The CARES Act funds have to be spent by the end of the year. The session officially ends October 10th. Coming up, we hear from a health care official about how Medicaid expansion could help the state's most vulnerable. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. A new coalition of medical experts and nonprofits is advocating for Medicaid expansion in eight southern states, including Mississippi. Members of Southerners for Medicaid Expansion, who held a vigil honoring the more than 200,000 people in the U.S. who have died from the coronavirus, believe the South's response to the coronavirus pandemic has been hindered due to the failure to expand the program. Dr. Charlene Collier with the State Department of Health tells our Kobe Vance the pandemic has only made health disparities worse. A large portion of our population is uninsured or is underinsured so that they cannot access the health care that they need 
um, continuously uh, throughout their their lifetime. So Mississippians go without basic medical care, like taking care of high blood pressure or diabetes. When this happens, and simple, low-cost um, access to primary health care isn't available, then we're often taking care of the serious complications of those medical problems, like strokes and heart attacks or admissions for um, amputations for uncontrolled diabetes. When a person has continuous access to health care through having um, in health insurance, very low-cost interventions can improve the health of um, Mississippians, like taking care of your high blood pressure through medications or controlling your diabetes with insulin. Um, but when we have uh, people who are uninsured, they just cannot even begin that process of improving their health. And so you mentioned that Mississippi is one of 12 states who has not expanded. Um, where does Mississippi rank among those? Are, is Mississippi, are Mississippians more at risk for um, severe outcomes because they can't seek medical care? Definitely. Um, the Commonwealth Fund recently released a report uh, showing several metrics related to health outcomes, and Mississippi ranked last. And we are often ranked last when it comes to multiple levels of health, if it's mortality from cancer, mortality from diabetes, from heart disease. And as an OBGYN, I see that we have the highest risk of infant um, death in our state, highest risk of preterm birth in the country, and a very high rate of maternal mortality. And many of these things are driven by long-term or chronic health conditions in mothers like hypertension and diabetes. And right now in the state of Mississippi, we only cover um, pregnant women uh, during pregnancy through six weeks postpartum. That means a mom can have multiple medical problems that we identify and take good care of while she's pregnant, and then her insurance cuts off at six weeks postpartum. Um, This means we don't have the time to improve upon her health until she's pregnant again, and this leads to a higher risk of preterm delivery, and now we have a baby who's starting out life with poorer health, and that just continues through generations in our state. And what about what about the uh, the racial disparities amongst Mississippians? You know, when African Americans are so much more predisposed to have severe medical conditions. Sure. So, a long-standing generational um, history of racial inequities um, and racism that's existed in Mississippi has had a profound impact on the health of African Americans. Um, and one of the um, the effects of poverty as well as not, and tying health insurance to employment status has left many Mississippians out of the ability to access high-quality health care throughout their lifetime. So um, due to these things, we we see these higher rates of um, poor medical conditions in the black community and then higher rates of being uninsured or um, not continuously insured. So it's just, again, another thing that exacerbates and worsens these uh, racial disparities. We saw with COVID-19, the um, these racial inequities were further exacerbated, and not because of any genetic predisposition, but the multiple social factors that put um, uh, black populations at risk, one of those being not having uh, health insurance and access to, to adequate health care. Um, so when you're even thinking you're sick, you don't have a doctor to start your care with. And then once you do um, finally get uh, coverage, it's often, you know, at for something that's more catastrophic, so not getting that early preventive care. So 
Medicaid expansion would, would afford people the ability to care for their health continuously, identify problems early, and prevent what we're seeing in Mississippi is um, care at the later term or the most severe stages of disease. We could be preventing illness through primary care, um, but instead we do catastrophic care um, for conditions that really could be prevented if people were able to access and control their health uh, earlier on um, through having a long-term primary care doctor and then able to um, care for those complications if they, if they arrive. And so where does it begin, where does the state begin to expand Medicaid, especially when we have a governor who has been outspoken that he is, does not want to expand it? Right. I think it's important to look even to some other states that are Republican states who have voted to expand Medicaid because this is really good for the population of Mississippi. Um, Missouri uh, is a recent state um, that is expanding. Nebraska, the, Oklahoma, Arkansas—these are not just um, these are not blue states. These are states that vote uh, predominantly Republican, and they have chosen to expand Medicaid because it's good for the health of their people. Health really should not be a partisan issue. We should look at the health of our state in Mississippi, and we have persistently ranked at the bottom. So we cannot continue to do the same thing and expect different outcomes. Something has to change, and we really need to prioritize the health of Mississippians and to really see an elevation in all of our you know, social levels um, in our state. There's economic benefits to having a healthier population, but we can't imagine Mississippi is going to improve without that key to get in the door of health care, which is really health insurance. So I would say talk, let the people choose. There's a big push for that type of um, approach in the state. And I think um, regardless of political background, um, especially with the job losses we've seen, um, tying health care to employment doesn't make sense, especially when we see such, you know, uh, dramatic changes in our economic uh, picture following covid Um making people only be able to have access, have only having access to health care when you're employed is, it doesn't really make sense in our current economy and it's certainly making Mississippians suffer. Dr. Charlene Collier with the State Department of Health is also an associate professor at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. The Mississippi Arts Commission will be under new executive leadership beginning November 1st. Long-tenured director Malcolm White officially left the post this week after announcing his departure this summer. Replacing him is Jackson native Sarah Story, who is making her way back to Mississippi after stops in New Orleans and Austin. She says while in New Orleans, remain, she remains steeped in Mississippi influences and is excited about the opportunity to work directly with Mississippi artists. I was still really very 
surrounded by Mississippi and Mississippi artists because um, the Ogden Museum, although it shows art from all over the South, of course, Mississippi has so many amazing artists and creators. So that was a big part of our both permanent collection and changing exhibitions. Um, So I was in New Orleans for about six and a half years. And then I decided to move on, and I became the executive director of the Umoff Sculpture Garden and Museum in Austin, Texas, in 2018. And um, that was it's been a really fun uh, job and fun experience because Austin is just such a uh, fast-growing and innovative city. There's just every major company coming in here right now, and there's just so much growth. And um, it's been really exciting to figure out and help the city figure out how to preserve the arts and how to have a city that's growing so quickly. How do you also allow for um, the livability factor of artists and creators and how can you ensure that they are not pushed out of the city with all of the rising costs? Um, so it's just been a really uh, great experience in the city as well. But I'm I'm really excited about this next opportunity to return to Jackson and be able to work all over the state and be connected back in my roots and reconnect with so many artists and professionals and creators that I've worked with before and then really get to know a whole new group of of creators and art enthusiasts that I haven't met. So I'm just really excited for this opportunity. And as you take the helm of the Mississippi Arts Commission, you're uh, overseeing not only visual artists and visual arts, but performing artists and performing arts. So it's it's a wider net, I guess, of uh, being cast over what you've done previously, perhaps. So h- how does that make you feel? Oh, it's it's really exciting, and um, and you, you're right. Yes. So the majority of my roles have focused on the visual arts, but at the same time, we have been able to create really interesting partnerships with performing artists, especially in um, Austin. There's been a shortage of venues for um, for ballet, for dance, for symphony musicians, just theater. We have we have we've partnered with a Shakespeare company before. Um, so we've been able to really create interesting partnerships with those groups. So I've gotten to know uh, how those those groups and creators operate as well. And I'm, I'm excited to come back to Mississippi and learn more about all the different types of arts, the folk arts, the culinary arts, um, literature. And I think that's just going to be really interesting to think about it from a holistic perspective for yeah. how the arts and creativity as a whole can really impact a state. In your current job and moving into Mississippi and the Mississippi Arts Commission, how do you think the pandemic is impacting what you do and what you will be doing? Well, for I think for everybody, the pandemic has um, made life a little bit more challenging, especially in spaces that are meant to, in and um, in industries that are meant to be community-based and um, shared experiences, uh, meeting with people, having events, enjoying a theater production, enjoying a meal together. I think that's been the biggest challenge um, because creativity often comes through interactions and um, is really inspired by others and uh, being able to see new things and learn new things. So I believe that's probably been the biggest challenge for everyone in um, the arts field. And then, of course, you know, funding cuts everywhere um, because of of COVID and just funds needing to be rerouted to um, 
other industries at this moment. But at the same time, I think it's been a good opportunity for um, for my my current museum here, the Umlauf, and then the Mac as well, to really utilize technology on a whole different level. And and there's been some pos- positives of that too, being able to connect to wider audiences, being able to connect with more people, being able to really um, share and grow uh, followers and communities and um, just have a greater impact in the digital space, whereas before it was harder to get um, attention of large crowds through that those mediums. So you've told us your, your background and uh, your love for the arts. Is there anything else you'd like our listeners, Mississippians, to know about you as you take on this new role? <laughs> Well, just that I'm excited to meet everyone. Um, I'm just ready to be able to travel throughout the state and just see all the the great things that are going on throughout the state. I'm a runner, so if anyone has any... <laughs> if they see group, you running by. <laughs> yeah, please say hello. Um, I'll join any running group in any region that I'm in for the day, and I, I look forward to just connecting with um, everyone on so many different levels. Sarah Story is the new executive director for the Mississippi Arts Commission. Sarah, welcome and thank you for being with us. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate the time and I look forward to meeting you soon. And Sarah officially joins the Mississippi Arts Commission November 1st. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.